Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz pick up an impressive win in Atlanta over a team that uh, is coming off a great playoff run. Not off to a great start this year. With the loss of the Jazz, have now lost four of the last five. But the Jazz do it without Donovan Mitchell. They defended pretty well. Held Atlanta under 100 points. That's a winning number right there. They're 4-0 when they hold teams under 100 points. And in the Jazz' only loss, it was also the only game this year that they didn't break 100 points. So get to 100 points if you want to win an NBA game. And Jordan Clarkson went off 30 points. Didn't shoot it great early in the game, but man, did he catch fire after halftime. Holy cow. One after another after another. Some in the paint, some mid-range stuff, a dunk at the rim. Uh, catch and shoot three on the right side. Uh, <laughs> Bolly dribbled about 27 times in four seconds and then shot it while Donovan Mitchell and Street Clothes mimicked him on the bench behind him. He just could not miss in the second half. And the Jazz win the fourth quarter by 17 and the game by 18. So we'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Got some college football for you now. I assume we're going to see some wins. And I don't think there's a bigger lock than BYU playing Idaho State at home. It almost feels like a scrimmage, to be honest. Uh, That's because, well, it's almost a scrimmage, to be honest. I mean, they're charging full prices, and it's on BYU TV. So I guess it's not a scrimmage. But it's a win. Araya Litauer. He is going to talk a little bit here about uh, the end of the season, and they're right down to it now. Three games. This is senior day. Here he is. Well, but let's go back to Saturday for a second. How big was that fumble? Take me through that play because you were out on the edge and came in to, to help make the hit, knock the ball, ball free, and, and roll on top of it. What was that like for you? Oh, it's crazy. Um, thanks, Drop 8. <laughs> That's funny because we were running a lot of uh, man – first half and so halftime adjustments we were deciding to drop eight and I was one of the only defensive linemen that knew the drop so I was out there on the wide receiver on the far end and uh, it was funny because like a play earlier I was doing the exact same thing and I didn't trigger when I was supposed to so when I came off to the sideline they're like hey you need to respond faster to the run so the very next play in that one um, I saw the run and I declared and I was just like F it. I'm going to just run hella fast at him. And so, like, somebody grabbed him by the leg, and I was like, yep, I'm going to take my shot. <laughs> so I just took it. <laughs> oh, did I say something bad? Oh, no, I didn't say nothing bad. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah. So that, that's pretty much what happened. And, um, yeah, I didn't really notice the ball went out until, like, it hit my back. And I think it was a really cool moment. Yeah, especially with – uh, everything. I thought it was a really great moment, and I felt like the defense responded. Drew came in with a clutch, um, <clears throat> a clutch interception the next series, and uh, the rest of the defensive line just responded and relished the role of three man rushing, and we got pressure when we needed it. So yeah. You were forceful last week talking about that, Lopa, just about the, the scheme and, and, you know, kind of giving your opinion on that. Is it kind of rewarding to see the team, hey, we got to go drop eight, and then it worked as well as it did for you guys to be able to hold them to seven in that second half? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the scheme 
was great. I just think, I'll be real with you, I think the players needed to execute a little bit better, uh, myself included, especially in the first half. Um, I don't blame the coaches on anything. I think that um, at some point we need to take it upon ourselves to make those critical plays when it's 1v1, uh, when it's just us versus the quarterback. We need to make sure we wrap him up when we have him. Um, yeah, but it, it was good to see that. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was fun to see that uh, the the drop eight was actually working in the second half not working but like it always works but the, the fans can see the difference between it because you know they had something to compare it to all right we'll uh, have a question now from mitch and then jay Opa, you were able to, to take advantage of that three um, year of eligibility last year uh coming back from from the injury has this season been everything you hoped for um, yeah, I don't regret coming back. I loved it. Um, it was another opportunity, another year to play. Um, something I met some cool people. Uh, I met a lot of uh, new faces and stuff like that. It's just it's it's been amazing for me, and I love the fact that I came back. And um, I'm gonna miss it for sure. It's gonna be dope. What do you feel will be the the maybe legacy hope for this uh, senior class? Because there's been some highs and lows. Uh, you know, in this in this time and during your time here at BYU, what do you hope is maybe some of the lasting impact? Um, the lasting impact is that we set not just a trend, but like a culture. Like you said, Mitch, we've had a lot of ups and downs. And um, those that have been here for a long time remember those really low downs. And um, it's been a blessing for me, for especially having a long career here, uh, seeing how much the team culture has changed, especially with Kalani at the helm. Uh, I remember when Kalani first came in as a brand new coach, he was like, just not winging it, but like you can tell he was making different adjustments every year. And I feel like he's caught his stride in the past few years. And I just hope that it builds on for the next coming years and it just leaves a legacy. I really do hope that BYU just continues this success because I feel like you know, I played a part in that, and I just want the freshmen that come in to to make sure that they understand that this is a, this is a place where like we want to be successful and stuff like that. That's something that I wish um, our legacy, especially the guys that are leaving this year, would leave <laughs> because I feel like after this year and next year, a lot of the guys that experienced those downs are gone. So when, um, you know, like it's it's like in the Book of Mormon, you know, like when you only know good times, you don't understand how hard it is. And so like, I feel like um, that doesn't change. I hope because we're getting a lot of good recruits and stuff. We're going to get a lot of guys that don't know BYU when they're down. And I hope that they understand that um, when they come here, it's to work, you know, it's to build upon this legacy that I hope that we, we cultivated as a team, especially as players. And that's something I really hope stays with BYU. It just looks like we just have time for one more question. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, Lopa, my question is kind of along that same lines. This is going to be probably the smallest senior day <laughs> If, uh, if the roster holds, there's only three seniors on the roster, but just what are your emotions like going into your final game at, at Lavelle Edwards stadium? How will you? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I was really emotional last year when I thought it was going to be my last year. 
Um, I was emotional when I saw my actual class leaving and walking down the field. <clears throat> but it's like against San Diego State when I remember watching Kyrus and Zach Daw and, and Bracken all walking down and Isaiah Kafusi. I just, I don't know, I, I kind of like broke down a little bit on the inside. But like this year, it just feels more like satisfying than it does sad. I feel um, grateful and everything, but I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm trying to like bottle, not bottle it all in, but I'm trying to take it all in, if that makes sense. All right, here's another guy who uh, could be playing his final game in Lapini Katoa. Uh, we heard early in the week from uh, the head coach, Kalani Sataki, that there are juniors who can come back, juniors in eligibility who could come back for really what would be their super senior season. This is something we're going to face a couple more times for everybody who was on the roster during the pandemic. Uh, here's Lapini Katoa. What's it been like for you to watch Tyler become the player that he's be, become? Because you guys have, have worked together really closely. I just wondered what that, that process has been like as, as you've seen him evolve. Uh, it's really cool to watch. Um, he's come from like being lost in the meeting room to taking control of it. So, yeah, he's definitely just fully developed and he's looking great. What's it like getting ready for this weekend and the uncertainty with COVID and who's going to be going and who's going to be coming back? And, you know, you're getting ready for what could be a final home game for a lot of guys or not. Yeah, I mean, with everything happening, it's, it's just the same. Like, it's, it's another game for us. It's the next game for us um, in our journey, you know, this season. So, um, try to limit the distractions and, and what, you know, outside things. Just focus on, you know, playing our best football. Jay, go ahead. Hey, Lopini, speaking of that, have you made a decision yet on, on whether you'll be back or – what what you will do in the future? I haven't made my decision yet. I, you know, I I still have time, so I'm I'm unsure yet. So, are you a you're in your fourth year, right? So you obviously had would have a redshirt year and or a COVID year. Yeah, I have a COVID year left. Oh, just a COVID year. Okay, just a COVID year. Yeah, this is my fifth fifth year. Okay. Okay. Um, and then just you guys being ranked fifteenth in the college football playoff rankings, does that kind of put a carrot out there for you guys to show that even with two losses, you might be able to get to a big-time bowl game, um, whereas before the rankings came out, it was really long shot? Does that make sense? That yeah. Question? I mean, at the end of the day, um, the selection is, is out of our control. So, I mean, the most, the things we can control is winning the game, right? Hopefully we can just win, win out and – and, you know, we handle the things on our end and then leave it up to them. And hopefully we get a, a, a good bowl game. And if not, then we'll, you know, we'll take the bowl game we have. And last question, just after that phenomenal offensive performance, what has this week been like? Do coaches have anything to nitpick about or, or how does that go? Uh, yeah, I mean, even in a game like that, there's still things to, to clean up. And so... Uh, usually we try to bury the last week's game by on Monday. And so, uh, yeah, we learned from our mistakes. We celebrated a lot while watching the film as well. And so this week has just been focused on cleaning up those mistakes and getting ready for Idaho State. Sean, go ahead. 
Yeah, Pini, kind of similar. Uh, we were asking you about Ty, but what, what's it like to watch Jaron's maturation for you this year? Because, I mean, we from the outside probably still think of him as kind of the new starting quarterback. Nine games in, that's probably unfair to uh, to call him that. So for, from your point of view, what's it been like to kind of see him sort of grow and mature and, and just fit into this role, like taking over this offense the way that he has? Uh, I don't think anybody's really surprised by it because of um, how he stepped into the role in years prior. And that goes um, the same for Baylor. Uh, they both are are able to step up and lead the team when called upon. So I think uh, nobody's really surprised by how he's led the team. Bryce, go ahead. Hey, Lopini. I just had a question. What is it? What is the player's mentality going into a game against an FCS team like Idaho State? Is it any different than than any other previous week this season? Um, I think one good motivation for us is uh, you know the last time we played them, um, there was kind of a bad feeling at the start of the game. We took a, a little bit to get going, and 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 you never want to feel that way, regardless of who you're playing. And so. I think our, our main focus, as always, is to put our best result on, to, on the field that we can. There's Lapini Katoa, officially a junior, but maybe playing his last game. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 analyst. He's up next. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Huh! Huh! The Aggies take a break from Mountain West Conference play for a trip to New Mexico for a showdown against New Mexico State. Catch all the play-by-play action this Saturday, beginning with the Aggie pregame show at 1. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst and Pac-12 analyst, joining us now, and he's joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving you free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or you can call 877-346-3333-877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I, I, I hear that someone's got a day off. What, what, what's yeah, going on? Yeah, DJ, he, you know, he works for the local CBS station here on the uh, weekends, so uh-huh. he's getting a facelift. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Sounds about right. Well, I hope it works out. All right. Botox is for everybody, but I hope it works for him. Okay. So <laughs> PK has to slide over. It'd be like if Brent Musburger was out for a game. You yeah. have to slide over a chair. Yeah. PK sliding over a chair. Joining us <laughs> is a, a gentleman named Tim Lacombe, who's our Utah Jazz basketball analyst. Hey, Tim. What's going on, Lincoln? Long <laughs> time long time fan of yours, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's a, he's a well-known name in these parts and awesome. obviously knows about Lincoln Kennedy, college football Hall of Famer and all that stuff. So, let's get the, uh, let's get the, the just the awful news out of the way first. You know, I'm not, we know what happened yeah. with the traffic accident and all that, and I'm not going to ask you how does it affect the team because of loss of life and shattered lives 
on the other ones who've lived. I don't know how they're yeah. going to get into the legal system. We'll, we'll take care of that and all. Nevertheless, a game has to be played. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in any maybe uh, a similar situation. Hopefully not. But No, you... no, nothing of this magnitude where life was taken. I've, I've been on teams where, you know, teammates um, – didn't make or did, you know had passed away, um, and you know what's real. What's so hard is because with the NFL's COVID protocols, we don't have as much access to the locker room or to the team in general. So it's hard to gauge how it might affect them. Well, what I can say this, what I do know this, is that there were several players, including head coach and, and, and a quarterback Derek Carr, um, who really liked Henry Ruggs. And, you know, when this tragedy came across the wire and they found out, and then they found out the, the prosecutors amount of charges, they had no choice but to release him. Now, you know, there's, it's, it's a tragedy on both sides. The first of the family, the victims of the family, obviously losing a loved one. And then for Henry Ruggs, his life has forever changed as a 22-year-old. Right. But with that being said, you know, much like other situations, guys just want to go out and do what they want to do or do what do. How, what they know how to do. For example, coaches coach players play. So it's coming to one of those instances another time for this season, as the team has already been through so much, um, that they have to travel back to New York, um, play a team, the Giants they should beat. They're a better team. I think it's, it's fair to say everyone can make that assessment there. They look like a better team, but it's not going to be easy. And we also know, as history has showed, in the second half of the season for the Raiders, especially in the past couple of years, coming off the bye, Extremely slow starts. Hasn't always worked out well. And I think the last three meetings of the Giants, they didn't beat them. So this would be a one way they could try to right the ship or just try to get things back to some sense of normalcy as they push forward. Well, if for no other reason that to to be able to go out and be focused, the Chiefs, which you called, and you've been consistent about saying this, so I need to give you some acknowledgement there because you thought the Chiefs were going to come back to the pack and suffer that Super Bowl hangover. I think you spoke from experience in that mm-hmm. situation, and that's exactly what we've seen. So for no other reason, uh, at least in the last few years, this is the Raiders' best chance to make the postseason. Well, I, I will agree with you there, but I, I think that what, what cannot happen and what we have to be leery of, especially in our position, is that to speak on looking forward or looking past the team. Yes, you still have two games against the Chiefs, you have another game against the Broncos, and I actually think ultimately the, the last game of the season, the regular season, will be deciding division when you go up against the Chargers. But with that being said, there's still a lot of football to be played, and the Chiefs still have potentially a lot of weapons that can you know make things a little bit difficult for the Raiders. You know, I'm more interested and focused on to see if they, you know, the last two games against the Broncos and the Eagles, the Raiders have been able to start somewhat faster, whereas the previous five games before that, they notoriously started slow. And then, they, like I said a moment ago, they have a habit, especially coming after the bye, of starting off slower, just not playing well. And I, I kind of want to write that ship the second half of the season. Uh, with, um, you know, with 10 games to go, they still have a lot of football they have to play, and they're going to be against some pretty good teams, but they could ill afford to look past anyone and take anyone for granted. Lincoln, uh, Kansas City Chiefs came up there. I, I, I actually, I have Pat Mahomes on my fantasy team this okay. year. All right. Uh, been a little bit of a rocky year, not exactly what I expected, but I've seen this phenomenon happen in the NFL, you know, over and over again. Um, if you go back through and think about explosive offenses that kind of get ahead of defenses, and then everybody kind of uh, adjusts to what they're doing. What is it the teams are doing 
from a football perspective, knowing that I'm a basketball guy and I get most of my football education from Madden. Uh, what is what is it the that the rest of the league's doing to kind of neutralize you know such a potent offense in Kansas City? Well, if you watch that Monday night game against New York, uh, I think the announcers made comments of it because it's it's been something that's been going on for quite some time. The focus on the offense is so much around Travis Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill. They run combination routes with those those guys. That if you bracket or take two of those or or double cover. Uh, both of those guys. A lot of times the other guys aren't running routes if it's not meant for them because they know what tendencies are shown. Patrick Mahomes wants to go to those two guys. Without that, and the, I mean, with that and without the possibility of having a consistent run game and having issues with the offensive line, I mean, it's just the fact the rest of the league is kind of caught up. You know, it, it, other than, you know, that sort of uh, um, dream that happened a couple of years back where the New England Patriots were always winning, this division is extremely competitive. Uh, so it's going to challenge the Chiefs there. Plus the fact they've got a big old target on their chest. Everybody knows who they are. You're going to, you're going to have two challenges there. So with the, the, the fact that they're a little long in the tooth in defense, not consistently getting off the field, and all those other things that they're talking about, they've, they've had some trouble. And Patrick Mahomes has turned over the ball more times in this time, uh, point of his career than any other time. So there's a lot of things that have added up that have worked against the Chiefs. I don't know how the NFL does it, Lincoln, but they always seem to have these outrageous storylines through the course of the season, and things pop up week to week. And so this week we have Rodgers, then we have uh, Odell Beckham's father putting stuff out there, and that, that sort of gets in the way. Now, uh, Rodgers isn't going to be able to play. Our Jordan Love kid from Utah State yeah. is going to get the opportunity, and we're all excited to see what he does. But how does whatever it might be, not necessarily specifics, but generally speaking, how does all this drama play with teams as guys are trying to go about being professionals to prepare for the games each week? Well, there's preferential treatment. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's no surprise. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is, it probably deserves to be treated better than most of the quarterbacks in the league for what he's done. But there's preferential treatment. And when you talk about Odell Beckham Jr., you know, you're talking about a guy that the Giants wanted to get rid of a long time ago. They did because they felt there was going to be a future headache. Now, if you follow his career, there's still the point where, yes, he's a talented player, but you really got to be very careful if you want to bring that in your locker room because that can be a noticeable distraction. So this is where you talk about the character clauses or things that are coming out, uh, you know, with people. It's hard. It really is because if you think about it, if you're the Browns, I mean, we already know what the, the Packers have to do. They have no choice, but they have to play Jordan Love because they, they only have basically one quarterback. But if you're, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you're trying to make amends for everything that's going on. Your quarterback is hurt. You have to decide on him if you're going to make him, uh, you know, give him an extension contract, if this is the right team that you can lead. Their defense has come a long way, and they've been able to play well with the running game, but they haven't been able to put wins together because they're playing with a hurt quarterback and they don't have a backup plan. The last thing they need is a distraction from a flamboyant wide receiver that says, I'm not getting the ball enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but at the same point, there's a lot of money that's going into OBJ, and after the fact that they They've already played their third game. He's probably got some clauses in the contract. Unless it's detrimental to the team, he's going to get a, a gist of his money this season. So then becomes a business move, and what do you do? Um, but it looks like the, the Cleveland Browns are deciding to walk away from it, take a loss, and now they're trying to try to find something to do with them because I think, if I'm not mistaken, according to the CBA, if the, if the, um, if the, 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 the Browns were to cut him at this particular point, they would still have to play out the remainder of this year's salary. Right. That's a lot of cash. Uh, let's shift to college. Mm-hmm. 
uh, talk to me about your thoughts on the uh, the initial rankings for the Bulls uh, for the playoff playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a bunch of BS to me. It's about as, <laughs> as, as much as I emphasize preseason polls in college football. I, it, it doesn't care. Another thing you have to think about, or I, we've talked about many times on the show, is that this is this is college football's big money grab. You know, they're going to they're going to shun teams like Cincinnati because Cincinnati doesn't have the drawing power that say uh, a Notre Dame or an Alabama or some of these other big names do. So you know, they're going to they're going to shun them, and they, even they're going to make it harder for Cincinnati. And that's why I think uh, the time is come for them to expand it to at least 12 teams. I mean, that's a, that's a little bit more than I wanted, but at least eight teams and then it looks like they're going to go to 12 teams. It's just long overdue. If they're going to do it, do it right. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. You're, you're telling me they they leave one team out over another because the other team has yeah, it's a, it's a television show, more, Lincoln. More money? It's, a, it's a television show. <laughs> that's a, such a surprise. I, yeah. I coached college basketball for 20 years and all I ever heard was they were trying to make it equitable. Yeah, you. I mean, that's a good story of the feed, but you already you already see how the the trend has paid all, play, paid out played out the last what five six years, where you have pretty much the same teams involved in a college football playoff system, right? Unless something happens like Clemson drops a couple of games, but you, all of a sudden you're elevating someone else. You know, um, Alabama's still there with one loss, but you got two teams that are undefeated that aren't even a top four. Right. How does that make sense to you? And I'll get you know, wonder if it to Oklahoma and Cincinnati, it's not fair. I mean, especially when you're putting such an emphasis on unblemished schedules or unblemished Records. results. Yeah, yeah. And Oregon in there with a loss to Stanford at four. Um, I, I wonder if Nike maybe made a, a contribution. <laughs> I'm sure they probably had. But, I mean, you know, when, tell me thing, that stuff when, doesn't go on, right? Well, we, <laughs> well, when you talk about a lot of the pundits like myself, when they sit there and look at the ranking, Oregon, even at number four, still has a less percentage chance of making the college football playoff than several of those other teams that are around them, including Oklahoma. Unbelievable. Okay, Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on The Zone. If, if it's not... Oregon and Utah in the title game in Vegas at your stadium where you work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm never, ever going to predict a Pac-12 game again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to be at this point, doesn't it? Well, you know what? I, I, until until um, Oregon State lost to Cal last week, I was thinking Oregon State might be in it, but you know, still going for that showdown. I, I, um, Cal did a great job of nullifying Oregon State's run game and stuff like that. I, I think it's going to be Oregon, Utah. It should be. I definitely think the Utes have earned the spot to win the South, and I don't put much emphasis into your alma mater in Arizona State, as I said, just inconsistent and, and undisciplined, something that you just don't see out of a Herm Edwards team. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's uh, I think it's Utah and Oregon. So Herm Edwards wrote a letter to the team leaders during the bye week. Oh. I'm hoping this week he wrote a letter to the president of the university submitting his resignation. Wow, I didn't hear anything <laughs> about the letter to the, to the, to the players. Yeah, he I, wrote a letter I, to the players during the bye week to get them ready because they were coming off the bad performance against Utah, mm-hmm. and now's the time. And then they go out and commit three turnovers on their first three possessions. And then they have a, a field goal where they the guy runs off, uh, he jumps off sides and they back yeah. it up and they miss. You're, you're, it's a field goal unit. Where the hell are you going? Just stand there. <laughs> Come on. Hey, hey, hold on. I'm on to something here. You went to Arizona State, right? Yeah, no, no, I deny it. So Lincoln just used undisciplined. Yeah. And... Uh, 
and I looked over at you and I thought maybe that's a trait. No, it's not. I come from the Fra- I come from the Frank's Cush school of Arizona I mean, State really football. Ta- really talented, but undisciplined. No, no. I, I come from I, Frank Cush. Right Lincoln knows I, all about Frank Cush. I do. I do. <laughs> hey, Lincoln. I, I, so people to me, people. We were talking about this earlier, but people to me are the secret sauce. Okay. Um, name one of your favorite teammates in the history of your playing career? Somebody that you just absolutely connected with and they made a difference in your life? Um, his name was Mo Collins. He was a first-round draft choice out of Florida. He came into the league with the Raiders um, and he played tackle and then eventually moved to guard, right guard, right next to me. And we, you know, for the years of remaining, uh, since he moved over and, and, and then we were closest of friends, like brothers. Um, I lost him a couple years ago um, and I'll never forget that day on October 26th. Um, and, you know, his family and I are still close. Um, his kids, I'm watching them grow up. But he was one of those guys that just I just connected with. We were two like minds, and we got along so well that it really showed on the football field, especially with us playing with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I had so much success in the latter part of my career with the Raiders. It's always interesting, you know, like this this tragedy that happened this week, you talk about it, and, and people forget – you know, athletes are human beings. Yeah. And, you know, they think that they just because the people when they want athletes, they they flip the television on, they watch them play, and then they turn it off and they forget about them. And, right. Uh, you know, my I have been so, you know, just it's a it's a tough one. With and you think about it from both sides, but a young guy like that who makes a bad decision, you know, a bad decision, and it costs so much. But yeah, people people are are definitely the, the the big thing in sport and it, it one of the reasons i've really admired you from a distance so thanks for all you do it's uh it's great to talk with you well thank you i think you know just to add a little bit on to it i think what we forget and and i was definitely there but i never did anything you know this stupid um is we think we're invincible or Absolutely. that it won't happen to you. Um, I remember when I came out of college, I read every book by every athlete that I could think of from Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, everyone else talking about, you know, how to take care of your money and stuff like that and, and don't, you know, don't do stupid things with your money. And I still lost money. I still got swindled <laughs> by managers and stuff like that. I didn't think it could happen to me. It took me years to recoup and get that back. But, you know, one of the things I remember growing up, and I think we're all around kind of the same age, is the fact that, you know, we, we were told those lessons long time ago don't drink and drive don't drink and drive don't drink and drive find another way and i was one of those teammates that i didn't even start drinking alcohol until long after retired but i was one of those teammates that like a Derek carr said he extended the 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 friendship you look text me call me i'll come and get you i'll send somebody for you i was one of those guys i did it countless times with my teammates back in the day because i didn't want a tragedy like this to happen i just wish that henry ruggs would have used better judgment all in all um, uh, that night it was, uh, and I remember being invited to the to the to the event. Uh, I know that they sent out an invitation because they wanted players, former players, and current players there at Top Golf in Vegas. So I, I I just wish somebody who was around him would have thought, you know, a lot more um, with a little bit more discipline for him, and maybe pulled the keys out of his hands. Maybe we could have prevented this. Well said, Lincoln. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. You guys be well. Talk to you soon. There's Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst and Pac-12 network analyst. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a battle against Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia, the Cougars finally get a week off from Power 5 opponents as they welcome in Idaho State to Provo. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get the win over Atlanta. They got the best record in the NBA. The Jazz are now 7-1. and one. Best mark in the NBA headed into Miami and Orlando Saturday and Sunday. They're going to see the Hawks here in Utah on Tuesday. So right, uh, right back at it with the Hawks soon enough. Uh, the Jazz get a huge game from Jordan Clarkson. He goes for 30. Here is the best of the Jazz post-game show. True Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz start out their three-game road trip with a win. They beat the Hawks 116-98. to uh, Jake Scott with you this morning. Of course, uh, the Jazz. Uh, it was a little bit of a slog it out game. Tough first half, but Jordan Clarkson, boy, did he break out of his shooting slump. He had 30 points, 25 of which came in the second half. And the Jazz outscored the Hawks in the fourth quarter, 41-24 to to turn it up and win that one going away. They got uh, The Jazz got 20 three from Bogdanovich. 13 and 11 assists from Mike Conley. Joe Ingles had 19 stepping into the starting lineup for an injured Donovan Mitchell. Let's get to some uh, post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Well, I think this is one of those games where the, the bad things were, were, were actually the good things in that you know, we felt like we were getting pretty good looks and we weren't making them and that that's when I think you know, being mentally tough and continuing um, adjusting a little bit, you know, to when you have an opportunity to get in the lane, um, but continuing to try to play with the pass and take good shots. Um, I thought our defense, you know, our defense was really solid, um, which which allowed us to be in a position where, you know, when our offense kicked in, you know, we were, we were right there. So the, the difference is this team that, you know, guys figured stuff out um, and they figured it out on the court. There was a couple of plays that really demonstrated that, you know, side out play where Boyan and Royce were connected and they were preparing probably to foul Rudy at that point. We get a quick layup. Um, you could see it in dead ball situations when you know, we were huddled to make sure everybody's knowing what we're doing. You know, that doesn't have to be every possession, but you know, I, I think we were connected group up, up, up here. And, uh, you know, that guys feed off each other in that way. In that way. There, there are coaches who take players out when they're having a match tonight. You've never been one of those coaches. Why not? Well, I've taken a couple guys out, but not, not Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I believe in him. You know, I mean, I think that's part of, you know, when someone believes in you, you know, you, you, the, the moments where you may have some doubt, you, you, you don't. And, you know, I thought in the first half, I think he was over five from three. He got one late clock with like two seconds on the shot clock to, you know, call it over four and thought they were good looks. So um, that's who he is. And 
you know, the thing that, you know, and this, there's a couple of sequences in the Milwaukee game where he just threw himself into other parts of the game. And I think that's the most important thing. Like if, if somebody's not making shots and they're, you know, going inward and feeling sorry for themselves, you can be frustrated, but when it impacts other parts of your game, you know, that's different. And, you know, there's a, there's a confidence that he has in himself and he and I have a little bit of a connection in that regard. Have you seen that confidence waiver at all? You'd have to ask him. Um, it, you know, I, I think, I think he, he's, you know, he adjusts during the game. You, you saw him, you know, he was making shots, but he also got in the lane and, and, and credit, you know, credit our bigs, you know, when, when we started to really space and, you know, be flatter on the floor on the baseline, um, that created more, more space for Jordan in, in the lane. But, um, you know, obviously he believes in himself. It, there was a timeout where, you know, I think part of it is can focus on Jordan, but, you know, Boyan, Royce, everybody, like we just talked about having, they're not, you know, it's not Jordan shots. It's not Boyan shots. It's not Royce's shots. It's our, our shots. And when you approach it that way and, you know, you throw yourself into the group, I think it takes pressure off those shots. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Uh, his team wins 116-98, to talking about uh, Jordan Clarkson having faith, believing in Jordan Clarkson. Talked a little bit about their connection. Um, we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit later on when we hear from Jordan Clarkson himself. He talked a little bit about that, too. But uh, right now, let's hear from uh, Joe Ingles. Did you guys say anything internally specifically at halftime? Or was it just more schematic and just kind of sticking into it? Yeah, um, nothing too specific. I, I think defensively we were solid. I think we, we missed a lot of shots that we would normally make. Um, I think we were getting pretty good looks. Um, obviously, again, like Mike, the first time playing without Donovan for the first time, you're fig- trying to figure it out as, as on the fly a little bit. Um, which you've been able to obviously do in the past, but again, it's a new year and, and you, you're still figuring things out. So, um yeah, it was kind of ugly, I guess, in, in that first half. But we knew if we stuck with what we wanted to do, we were getting the shots we wanted to take. Um, obviously, JC getting hot in the second half really um, has helped, or it did help tonight um, with, the, with the last couple of games. And um, yeah, I just think we, we kind of stuck with what we did. I think defensively, we were really good. Rudy was huge figuring out where his pickup point was and getting that deflection on the lob a few times and we're able to get out and run and, and make the right play in transition. Yeah. What's it like that? I think at the other end, even for probably JC, it's like you, you feel more like you're letting your team down than yourself, like in terms of being mad or worried about your own game. Um, obviously with, with JC, we know how aggressive he is coming off the bench and we expect him to do that every night and for nine out of 10 or 99 out of a hundred, probably he's going to be really, really good at that. Um, so to have a couple of games like that, I don't know if he's had a stretch like that since he's been with us really in two or three games like that. So, um, I think as a, as a team, you are trying to figure out ways to make it easier for him. Um, and not wanting him to overthink it or, feel like he's letting us down or, or anything like that. And um, 
I mean, even the last couple of games, like the shots that were missing were like rim, r- rattling in and out and, and it was shots he normally makes. So um, I think for him, it was more the frustration of, of letting the team down kind of so to not that we thought he was letting us down, but he, from his perspective and, and obviously we knew at some point it was going to change. He's not going to shoot that percentages or whatever for, for the rest of the year. So um, yeah, happy he was able to be aggressive. And then I, th- I think the, the best part about it was that end of the third and the fourth, like making the right play. And, and he hit bogey a couple of times on, on that transition. And um, I don't know what he ended up. He still had 30 some points or whatever. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a good game for him. And um, hopefully he never has a slum like that again, because <laughs> it makes it a lot harder. <laughs> You were pretty aggressive at the first time yourself. Is that you know because Donovan's not there and you need to replace Johnson? I didn't think about it like that. I think obviously it's again it's different when Mike was out starting with Donovan for me, and then Donovan's out starting with Mike, and um, just trying to figure it out. Um, obviously, I know when someone's out, I'm going to start. It just depends who the one through four is that potentially um, would be out. Um, I think I got some pretty open and kind of good looks early um, and was able to make them and rest of the game makes it a bit easier once you do see it going a couple of times. Um, but yeah, there was no kind of, I guess, thought process of that. It was just, again, playing the way, playing the right way, playing the way we want to play. Um, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's someone else. Second half was JC, Boyan. Um, Trent was huge off the bench with, with the point guard minutes that, that he played and um yeah, it was a it was a good all round game for us to to close out in the end. Is there a lot of team across the league that are shooting kind of your normal averages from three? You have a secret, or what's kind of what do you have any thoughts on what's going on with the rest? I'm not going to say anything about the ball if that's what you want. <laughs> um, no, I mean I think the, the clear and obvious thing for me is I'm going to take the shot, good shots that, that that are within our our team and our system, and as boring and however many million times I've given you guys that answer. Um, that, that's just how I'm going to play. And um, I think for me, when I'm taking the shots I want to take, that, that our team wants me to take, um, I feel pretty confident I'm going to make most of them. Um, so yeah, just just playing within the system. And um, I mean, there's always times when you feel like you're hot and you take a bit of a heat check somewhere in the year. But for for majority of the time, just just playing within how we want to play. And and again, some nights when some guys are out, there's more shots, more minutes, um, more time handling the ball, whatever that situation is. And obviously tonight with Donovan, there was kind of a a bit of all that really. So um, everybody had to step up and um, get ready for the next one. There's Joe Ingles, stepped into the starting lineup, had a nice night, 19 points, 7 of 9 shooting from Joe, 5 of 6 from 3, had 4 rebounds uh, to go along with 3 assists. Let's now hear from Trent Forrest. Focus, uh, just offensively, uh, what, what were some of the things that, that you, were, you were trying to do? Uh, He's a good player, so I mean, just try to use my length, kind of my size to bother him a little bit. Um, I mean, it helps a lot when you have Rudy and Hassan back there. So, I mean, if I can force them to the rim, I feel like I kind of got the advantage. So that was really kind of my mindset was just kind of using my size and using Rudy and Hassan on the backside. After finding out, like, the role you're going to play tonight, how did you kind of go about preparing? Um, honestly, the same way I always do. Um, I mean, I just – 
every day kind of take the same approach of just always being ready. So, I mean, I really didn't do anything different. I mean, I, I was able to, I mean, study and look through the game plan, what we did this morning with walkthrough. So um, I really wouldn't say I did anything different, but just kind of what I do every day. <laughs> It's a little bit of a different second unit than you played with last year, right? Eric. Yeah. What's the biggest difference? I would say it's still taking us like a little time to kind of learn each other, I feel like. Um, but it's easy in some sense because we're all kind of smart players. And, I mean, we can able to figure out a lot of stuff kind of on the go. Um, and that's kind of what Qu Quinn was talking to us about in the back is just we were able to figure some things out, like, in the floor of the game. So um, that was, I would say, is probably the biggest difference. Defensively, those two guys also kind of being able to guard their own. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, what do you take from Eric on some of the switches he scored? Yeah, no, nah, Eric is a great defender. Um, he's... I mean, can guard basically one through five. And he's also another strong, big body guy that can move his feet. So having him out there, I mean, it, it helps a lot. I'm playing with Fortnite, like, like, what is Yeah, no, nah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, you see him in practice every day shooting. I mean, then you get into games and just some of the stuff he, he does is just crazy. So he makes a lot of my job easy because I can just pass it and kind of just watch. So it, it's good for me. <laughs> With a guy like Jordan, where he's been full for a few days now, how nice is this to see that? No, it feels good. Um, I mean, everybody on our team kept telling him to shoot, kept playing his game. Um, and the, I mean, he was getting all the looks he's always getting right at the rim, it rims out, open threes. Um, so it was just a matter of time before he kind of got out of it, but everybody was happy for him. There's Trent Forrest. He got 19 minutes, kind of got some of those those ball handling minutes with uh, Donovan Mitchell not in the lineup. Uh, he was scoreless in 19 minutes, although he did have a rebound and an assist. Let's hear from the man of the hour now. Here is Jordan Clarkson. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, when I missed uh, the last 23 shots, probably threes or whatever it was, I mean, in my mind, I just, I just <clears throat> tried to just keep, continue to be myself and my teammates all the way down the line, coaches, owner, management, everybody just coming up to me, JC, keep shooting, keep shooting. It's going to happen. And then Don, before the game, just coming over to me, telling me, like, bro, it's going to happen. Like, And then we start hitting, it's just going to keep falling. So uh, hats off to, like, you know, that's why I love this team. I love my teammates, love the coaching staff, love this organization because they all believe in me and uh, believe what I can do. And uh, it's just beautiful. That's why you want to go out there and win a bunch of games and play hard and compete for each other. So, um, I'm very thankful for that. There was a point, I think it's like midway the first quarter, in the left quarter, you were over for three, and you hesitated, like throw it a little bit, and you went to a turnover. Mm -hmm. It seemed a little uncharacteristic. Right. Were you kind of a little bit in your head for a minute there after a couple messages? Uh, not necessarily. I think I kind of just, you know, keep pushing. You know, big thing for me was if I'm not doing this, I need to play defense. And that's been a key to everything that we've like harped on since we got here uh, in Vegas during training camp. 
Uh, when we came back from the summertime, all of it's been focused on defense. We know we can score the ball. We know we can make shots. But our main focus has been, you know, kind of guarding our yards, keeping our guys in front of us, containing it defensively. So, uh, literally, all that stuff kind of just just flowed out my head. And, you know, I just keep competing and uh, trying to continue to get wins. You know, that's what it's all about. I'm not really worried about numbers. I think I told y'all even last – I mean, in the beginning of the year, like – None of that stuff like even matters to me. All it's about is winning and uh, taking this next step as you know a team organization, and uh, you know trying to win the championship. You've seen the replay of your between the legs, your whole work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard him the whole time. He was literally talking to him. He was like, "Oh, yeah, this is it right here. Yeah, you got him." And then. And then seeing him do it, he he knows why you know he knows what I'm getting to uh, when I see somebody in the corner like that, and uh, he knows what move I'm gonna go to. So uh, that that's pretty dope, though. You know, that's our all star. You know, he's 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 a guy. Him having that, I'm having that support from him is just is great and it's amazing. Thought so you kind of give him a hug after I kind of give it everyone. Right, right. Why was that? Uh, I mean, just everybody, just like it's just like a. A uh, great feeling just from everybody um, knowing, you know, that I'll, you know, work hard in the summertime, you know, put all this time in. And, you know, when people struggling, that, that like, can be frustrating. But uh, like I told them and like they have told me, just keep being yourself. You know, they trust me. They trust the work. I trust my work. Uh, and like I said, all I was trying to do is, you know, bring energy. I'm not making shots, play defense, and just try to help us win. And that's the main goal for me. Uh, I don't know, man. It's moon, stars, I don't know. Some, you know, <laughs> some lined up where, you know, we are very connected mentally. And, you know, sometimes he don't even have to say anything to me. He kind of gives me a look, and I kind of already know what he's saying. And, um, but, you know, I trust him more than anything. I trust him, you know, game plans. Whatever he says is like trumps everything in the world. So when he's telling you to, you know, keep going, keep shooting, and he's telling that to everybody down the line, and he's uh, putting that trust in each one of us, you know, he's uh, a great person and a great coach, and he, he wants to win and um you know, trying to get it done. There's Jordan Clarkson. What a night from him. 30 points, 10 of 19 shooting, 4 of 10 from 3, 6 of 7 from the line. You heard him talk about uh, the, his connection with Quinn Snyder and how much uh, it, it meant to him that the organization, teammates, and coaching staff uh, really believed in him and told him to keep it up, keep shooting uh, when he was struggling. And boy, did he have a nice night last night against the Hawks. 116 to 98, final Jazz win. Up next, Jazz take on the Miami Heat in Miami coming up tomorrow night. Tip off for that game will be at 5. 30 pregame coverage begins at 4 30. There's the best of the jazz postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us.